0: My beloved fellow students, I wish you knew (coughs) how one feels when he is so introduced, how insignificant it makes one feel to be held up before such a vast and select audience as in any way exceptional. Especially is it difficult for one to arise on an occasion such as this and undertake to direct the thinking of such an audience. I doubt very much if anywhere in the world there could be selected and assembled such a vast and select group as are here this morning, to direct your attention for a few moments to the only subject that could properly be mentioned today will be my task. And to that task I humbly plead for divine direction. When we get a little older, as some of us are doing, sometimes we are reminded that some of the organs of our bodies are no longer in harmony. My daughter gave me a little skit the other day and says, I think this applies to you, Daddy. It said My bifocals are wonderful. My hearing aid is a find. My dentures come in handy. But how I miss my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Someone has said that nature provides substitute when we begin to lose our faculties, if we lose one eye, the other eye takes the place and does double work. If we lose our sight entirely, our ears are sharpened, and so on through life." An Irishman was present when that was being discussed on one occasion. He says, you know, I've thought of that myself. Whenever I see a man with one leg shorter than the other, The other is always a little longer. (laughs) That's a case, I guess, of misapplied logic. I cannot hope to do more than to call your attention to some things that others have said, and if possible, to interrelate what has been said and introduce some of the authors. Beyond that, I shall not hope to go. Any man who stands before a congregation like this to talk on the only subject possible must feel amazed and humbled as he undertakes in some way to discuss the awesome subject of Jesus of Nazareth. The past few weeks I have done considerable reading and some thinking with what I had to think with on this subject and have made some conclusions which I trust may be sustained by those who listen and effectively used by some. I shall necessarily refer to some notes, but primarily what I shall say will be extemporaneous. Only those who rush in where angels fear to tread would dare to undertake to talk without notes but I belong to that select group (laughs) and uh, I'm not ashamed of the fact because it was wished upon me by the forces. I'm thinking at the moment of Jesus of Nazareth who was born in Bethlehem, Judea at the beginning of what has come to be known as the Christian era, I'm thinking of his life, such little as we have authentically recorded on it. And I'm thinking of the effects of that life upon the world. I'm hoping that its effect, his matchless example, His tremendous influence may continue to be felt among such a group as this so long as you shall live in the world. I'm thinking of Jesus not only as the babe of Bethlehem, I'm thinking of him at the moment primarily as Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, that he was such is evidenced by many scriptures, ancient and modern. That he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he was the one who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. That he directed and inspired Abraham. He it was who sat with the gods and with the congregation that were there You all among them, he representing us, took the side of right. There was at that time another present of great power, obviously. But this other one wanted more power. He was power-hungry. And he asked that in exchange for the service which he proposed to render, that he be given the credit for what was done, promising to bring all of us back, but literally back in chains. And it was this time that Jesus of Nazareth was heard to speak. And as he spoke, you and I listened. And we made up our minds on whose side we would cast our vote. And as time went on, we did vote two to one in favor of the Messiah, the Son of God. I said he was in the beginning with God. He was God. He was the creator of all that is. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the Only Begotten of the Father. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this statement in Colossians, and I think it worthwhile to calling your attention to his wonderful remarks in connection with that subject. He said, things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made whether principalities or powers of thrones or dominions all things were made by him and for him and he was and is the light of the world I think we could not do better for a moment than to read the simple testimony of Matthew with respect to the coming of the Son of God in his day. The coming of Christ was in this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Ghost. Think of that for a moment. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her very privily away. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee thy unto thee thy married thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel." which, being interpreted, is God with us. Luke adds his testimony to that of Matthew. And I think in connection with the words of Luke, we should bear in mind that these men were writing what they knew to be true. And Luke, speaking of the same events referred to in Matthew, makes these cryptic remarks. And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove. And the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great that shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him unto him the throne of the of his father David. Again I'm having a little difficulty with these gradually diminishing faculties, as I see them fade away, I could almost envy you, my auditors, and wish that you could take my place. I hope you will not take that too seriously and come up immediately. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of him and of his preeminent position in life, I'm reminded of some comments made by some upon whom we have not looked with much favor so far as academics are concerned, so far as their learning is concerned in this area. And yet what they have said bears strict resemblance to what we have in the Holy Scripture. I'd like first to refer to some words which are credited to Napoleon. And I think his statement is well worth our consideration. <clears throat> in the first place, I'd like to refer to some words of Papini, whose life of Christ is one of the most incisive that has been written. He, being Italian, wrote in the Italian style but certainly he wrote with convincing convincing proof from time to time. Capini says the situation of the life of Christ in earth even as Adam before the transgression brought death into the world so Christ through the atonement restored to us the life made resurrection possible for all men. Let us examine then the appraisals made by these other men. Napoleon said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Superficial minds have set a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions, that resemblance does not exist. There is, between Christianity and whatever other religions, a distance of infinity. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His Spirit overaws me, and His will confounds me. Between Him and whoever else in the world there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly a being by himself. His ideas and his sentiments, the truths which he announced, his manner of convincing and are not explained by human organization or by the nature of things. And then he adds, the nearer I approach, the more carefully I examine it. Everything is above me. Everything remains grand, of a grandeur which overpowers me. His religion is a revelation from all intelligence, which certainly is not that of man. There is a profound originality which has created a a series of words and of maxims before unknown. Jesus borrowed nothing From science, one can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation of the example of life. The more I am assured there is nothing there which is not beyond me in the march of events and above the human mind. One other made the statement that with his pierced hands he lifted the world and empires off their hinges and changed the course of centuries and turned it out of its channel. Renan said, Jesus is in every respect unique, and nothing can be compared with him. Be the unlooked-for phenomena of the future what they may Jesus will not be surpassed. Noble Initiator, repose now in thy glory. Thy work is finished. Thy divinity is established. A thousand times more living and a thousand times more loved since thy death than during the days of thy course here below. Thou shalt become the cornerstone of humanity, insomuch that to tear thy name from this world would be to shake it to its very foundations. No more shall men distinguish between thee and God. In confirmation of that observation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, The same was in the beginning with God. His enemies and even those nearest to him only partly understood him. But they have tried through the ages to bury him. Some have said he never lived. Others have said he was a myth. Others have claimed that he was an imposter. But no matter what men or demons may do or try to do, They cannot erase the effects of his matchless life. His memory is everywhere, on the walls of churches and of schools, on the tops of bell towers and of mountains, in street shrines, at the head of beds and over the tombs. Thousands of crosses bring to mind the death of the Crucified One. And Papini again, speaking of the transfiguration, made this remark with respect to the shining through of the Spirit of Christ. He says, His soul transfigured in power, shone out through the flesh, pierced with its flaming witness, pierced the screen of his body and his garments, Like a flame consuming the walls which closed it in and flashing through them. But the light was not the same, and his face, in his face and in his garments. The light of his face was like the sun, that of his garments like the brilliance of the moon. His face, mirror of the soul, took on the color of fire. His garments, mere material stuff, were white like ice. The soul is the sun, fire, and love. The garments, all garments, even that heavy garment which is called the human body, are opaque, cold, dead, and shine only as by reflected light All those who have spoken with God remain radiant with life. May I pause to counsel you, my young friends, to get acquainted with him. Come to know the Master. Seek him daily in prayer. Converse with him. Be amazed, as I have so often been, at the evident fact that to meet and converse with him, one need not have a prior engagement. One need not be introduced by secretaries or others stationed along the way. He said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Service man in the last war said, I thank thee, God, that come what may, I may stop along the way at any time of night or day, and talk with thee. A priceless privilege is this matter of prayer, young folk. And I'm thinking just at the moment, ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? I'm wondering just how many of us are conscious of the power that comes through prayer. I'm wondering whether we realize as we go out to face the day's activities, that we may carry with us the influence and spirit of the Holy Ghost and the very presence of Jesus the Christ. If we could remember that, and when we pray in the morning, say to him in humility, I'm going out, Father. Please go with me. Sustain me. Give me courage and fortitude and faith and enable me to meet what comes and meet it manfully and courageously and triumphantly. And then, when the day shall end, come back to him again. Say to him, I have fallen short of what I had hoped, but thou knowest, O God, what I wanted to do. Help me now and forgive me and let me have another chance. And whenever you say that, you'll get another chance. I'd like to say to you young people, I do not want you to ever come to the point where you feel that what you have done is final and cannot be undone. No weapon used by the adversary is more powerful, more incisive, more destructive, than that influence which he brings to bear on the minds of young men and women. You've made a mistake. Therefore, you're lost. There is no hope for you. You might as well go all the way. I tell you, young men and women, that doctrine is of the devil. And as all things coming from that source are, it is false. You may make mistakes, and you will make mistakes. And we, your seniors, know something about mistakes. We've made them ourselves. And we extend to you the hand of fellowship and love and want you to know that come what may, we're on your side to the very last. I pray that he may help us all to so order our lives, that we be unafraid of the future, that we may face it manfully, and joyfully and with the Spirit of God to direct us. I said, get acquainted with God. Come to know him. A story is told of a great actor in the state of New York, the city of New York, who had given a wonderful performance. At the close of his acting, there was thunderous applause. And the man responded to it as usual. And then someone in the audience said, Sir, would you read for us the 23rd Psalm? He said, Well, yes, I know the words of the 23rd Psalm. And he proceeded to read them. He read them as such a man would read them. All the emphasis that was needed All the pauses and polished periods were applied. But when he had finished, again there was thunderous applause. And then he stepped to the front of the stage and said, Ladies and gentlemen, there's a man sitting here on the front row whom I know. I'm going to ask him without any notice to come and read the 23rd Psalm as it should be read. The man was astonished, perplexed almost stupefied, and yet he came. And standing before that vast audience with tearful eyes and bowed head, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff they comfort me." He sat down quietly. There was no applause. There was utter silence. And then the actor arose and said, Ladies and gentlemen, as you have noted, I know the words of the 23rd Psalm, but this man knows the shepherd. I plead with you, come to know him and apply his doctrines in your life. Let your light so shine that men, seeing your good works, may be led to glorify your Father which is in heaven. I must not proceed further in reference to notes, but I would like to read this short statement. The question has been asked, what would we do if Shakespeare came into this room? We would all rise to our feet. What would we do if Jesus came into this room? We would all fall to our knees. And again, if Jesus and Plato should return to the earth for just one hour— and were scheduled to lecture on the same campus at the same time, which lecture would you attend? The answer was, who would go to hear even so great a one as Plato talk on truth when he might listen to the one who was the truth? And Alexander McLaren spoke of him as being the midmost in world history. Christ was placed midmost in the world's history and in that central position he towers like some vast mountain toward heaven, the farther slope stretching backward toward creation and the thither slope toward the consummation of all things. The ages before looked to him with prophetic gaze, the ages since Behold him by historic faith, by both he he is seen in common, as the brightness of the Father's glory and the unspeakable gift of God to the men of the race. He stands alone in unapproachable grandeur. Nineteen centuries roll away, and his character so lives that he inspires millions of men with impassioned love. Other men may seem to be children of the surroundings. He became what he was in spite of his surroundings and in the only, is the only one who can say in truth and holiness, do as I have done. He holds up this shining example to you and me, young folk. You're just on the brink of your lives I'm on the farthest slope. I look back through the time and reach back if I can and would touch your souls with the spirit of this occasion when we eulogize, commemorate, and glorify the name of Jesus the Christ. I think I'd like now to do what I've done before, and I do it in humility. When one is called to serve as a member of the Council of the Twelve, he's always charged by the president of the Church with something like this. You are now to become a servant of God, to give the whole of your life to Him. You are to become a special witness for the Christ Let that be in your mind, constantly in your service. Young folk, do you remember his word to Peter? He asked Peter, Who do men say that I am? And Peter answered him. And then turning to Peter, he says, Whom say thee that I am? Peter surprised himself with his answer, for it came directly from the Holy Ghost. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Young folks, standing with the same authority with which Peter spoke and acting in the impression of the same spirit that impressed him, I say to you and to him. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I know it better than I know anything else. I would that I could impress your minds with that thought, that I, standing in humility but in deep gratitude, where Peter stood, and saying again as he did, Thou art the Christ, and then hearing his reply, Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven." Then he promised to build his Church upon the principle of revelation. This little clock on the stand indicates that I'd better desist. This I almost regret doing, as I have not left you a tenth part of what I'd like to say. I want to pause now and invoke a blessing upon all of you, upon individually and collectively, as you go to your homes. Oh, God bless this magnificent audience. Be with each member thereof. Let Thy Spirit appeal to them. Let Thy Spirit convince them of Thy presence and Thy accessibility. Convince them that they are the children of God. Help them to arise to the great possibilities of that magnificent statement, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. God bless this great audience. May His Holy Spirit go with you. May you enjoy the Christmas holiday and come back dedicated to gaining more knowledge and thereby becoming more godlike. I pray that His Spirit may prompt every action, every thought, that you may keep your thoughts pure above the mediocre, that you stand on your own two feet and pledge allegiance to Him, and then you may call upon Him to help you in your weakness. I pray for His Spirit and blessing to guide, direct, and inspire you all the days of your lives. And I pronounce that blessing upon you humbly. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.